Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everyone. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me. This is Life Over Coffee, and you can find us at lifeovercoffee.com. I'm so grateful that you are here. I am wrapping up a three-part series on communication. And so if you haven't listened, watched, or read part number one, part number two, I would encourage you to do that so that you can build a foundation of what I'm going to share with you here. In part three, this final edition, uh, this is going to be a nuts and bolts uh, presentation to you about how to get into the practicalities of doing communication, uh, not only with uh, a spouse or an immediate family, but also into a group of friends. And so I want to expand our conversational communication circle just a little bit broader so that we can bring in a select group of friends who, who are daring enough to have this kind of koinonia. And so if you haven't uh, participated, if you haven't benefited, from chapters one and two. By the way, I say chapters one and two because I've also put this information into a book that is free, and you're welcome to access that book from our store. And so uh, the, the first presentation I did, the second and third, are now collected together into a digital PDF book that you can download freely from our store, and I want you to take advantage of that. This would be an excellent six-month assignment for any couple, any two people, any small group, whatever that relational construct is. This would be an excellent assignment. What you have are more than 8,000 words in three different articles. Those 8,000 words plus are also in a digital ebook. And then you have an hour and a half of videos, three different videos, a little more than 30 minutes a piece. And then you also have an hour and a half of audio. And so if you want to read, watch, listen, if you want to read the digital book, you can have all of that. It is free to you, and I want you to use it. Those of you who are doing discipleship, that are doing counseling, you know you run into people that have communication problems. And so here is what I think could be a definitive resource that will serve you very well. And so I'm going to jump into chapter three here, but I do appeal to you that if you haven't read, watched, or listened to chapter one, chapter two, I would encourage you to do that because each one of these chapters build on the other. And so in chapter one, very briefly, I talked about the most perfect relationship that we could ever have, will ever have, and that is our relationship with God. That vertical relationship is the most exquisite, the most perfect, the most blessed relationship that any human can have, our relationship with God. That is chapter one. I build a strong case for that. And then in chapter two, I talk about we want to share that experience with God with at least one other person. Now, preferably that would be within the marriage construct because of the intimacy that's involved in this big word that, I'm, that we call koinonia. And so in chapter two, I talk about how to have that intimate partner, your spouse preferably. If you're single, you can have koinonia with other people, uh, but it will not be at the intimate level. It's not the same as being married. Now, if you are dating, courting, getting ready for marriage, uh, this would be an excellent premarital uh, work for you to go through 
through because this is the foundation that you want to lay. Communication, koinonia, fellowshipping together, that is the rest of your life. And so this would be an excellent premarital course uh, that you could go through. And I would encourage you to uh, consider that because it would be such a wonderful foundation to build. And so part two is, is bringing our relationship down that we have with God and sharing it with another person. Now, part three, where we are now, at this juncture, we want to expand it out into a few select individuals. Now, everybody's not going to get the warm and fuzzies about what I am talking about here because these are daring relationships. These are transparent, honest, vulnerable relationships. They're not wild relationships without discretion, without self-control, where people are just blabbermouths. But no, these are discreet but yet in-depth relationships that are uh, somewhat private because of the vulnerability that's involved. That's why you can't and you don't want to have this kind of koinonia with people outside of an immediate friend group. I said in one of the prior chapters that if you were to die with five people doing koinonia, you would die as one of the wealthiest people in the world. And so chapter 1... Uh, we talked about the most perfect relationship that you could have. Chapter two is about leading your spouse in intimate conversations. And now chapter three, I've titled it, How to Build and Enjoy Dynamic Community Life as we incrementally ask God to bring select people who understand koinonia and want to practice engaging in it for our mutual experience experience and growth in Christ. And so if you want to read this chapter, watch the video, listen to the podcast, again, you can find all of these resources at lifeovercoffee.com, and you can get the free digital download in our store, and I would love for you to do that. All right, so how to build and enjoy dynamic community life. The most crucial relationship in your life is God, and that's chapter one. I made a case for that, and that is a relationship that we want to continue to build build into, to engage the benefit from. Uh, the most practical way to experience Him is in a community of like-minded believers who are intentional about helping each other mature in their relationships with Him. You can do a lot of things by yourself, but sanctification is not one of them. No, it's not. We are part of the body of Christ. We are in union with Christ. He is our glorious head. He redeemed us and brought us into His family, into His body, and so there is no escape, and neither should we want to. We should desire to want to engage the body of Christ, engaging the head, Christ, engaging God. And you see that triangle ship of relationships involved there of God and two other humans. That is the richest kind of relationship that you can have. The more you engage with one another, the richer it's going to make your experience with God. The more you engage with God, the richer it's going to make your experience with the body of Christ. And so to know God better means that your primary relationship should provide you with the context to deepen your experience with Him. 
If your essential relationships do not give you that kind of care, what I have just described to you, then my appeal to you would be to consider changing your closest network of friends. Knowing the Lord and experiencing Him with friends is the relational sweet spot for Christians. I have a knitted ball here for those of you who are listening to the podcast. I, our youngest daughter made this ball for me so that I can hold it when I do podcasts so I'm not banging the table and making unnecessary noises. But if you could just look at this ball for a second, uh, this is where a Christian wants to go, and this is where the Christian would find God and find each other. If you can meet in that space to where you're engaging God and engaging each other, that is the relational sweet spot for Christians. That's where you want to be. Now, I am aware that some people would be listening to this and thinking, I would love to have a friend. I don't have one. And I know that that is a real problem within the body of Christ. You'll hear a lot of complaints around the body of Christ where people talk about shallow friendships and no one wants to go deep. I get it. There's some legitimacy to that. And part of that, one, is not understanding what koinonia is. Uh, Part of it is not knowing how to enter into those types of relationships. Part of it is that people have experienced the risk of those kinds of relationships and have been hurt by them. And that's why you can't have these outside of a or with a large group of friends because it's just that challenging. But because of the challenge of it, some people are left lonely. Now, I would say that Our ministry is a cyber ministry, and so we are not a replacement for what I am describing. No, where we find these relationships are in real-world spaces in the body of Christ, primarily in our local churches. But for those of you who are lonely and you're in that interim space to where you don't have a friend, but you would like to build relationally with someone else, we are not the answer, okay? We are a a tertiary outlet that you can come to to find temporary relationship. But again, we are not the answer, and I would not want to communicate anything different from that. But with that in mind, if you are lonely, I do recognize that, and and we can fill a space, we can fill a void in people's lives in a, a secondary, tertiary kind of way. And so if you are wanting to have some people that you can engage with, then, well, you would have to become a supporter of our ministry at a very minimal cost, and you can interact in our private community with people, and you can find some companionship. I am saying that not to get people to support. I don't want you to support. That's not the deal. Uh, But I'm driven by a deeper reality that that people do struggle and they're just looking for a modicum of communication. And we can offer that for you. But again, I I do caveat that by saying that we we are a tertiary gap filler at this point, that the big aim would be for you to engage in a local church, the primary place, Uh, in God's world for the body of Christ to gather and enjoy this koinonia. But if we can serve you in a secondary way, we would love to do that even temporarily as you get your uh, communicative equilibrium back uh, going in the right direction again. But it is essential that we have good companions. Good friends are a biblical reason
reason that you should mature, you should pursue mature companions, those who want to motivate you to live a God-glorifying life. And Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 15.33 that bad companions corrupt. You can invert that or flip it on its head, and, and well, if, if bad companions corrupt, then I think it's biblically acceptable to say, in fact, I know it is, it's biblically acceptable to say that, that good companions will build you up. Good companions will make you a better person. And so as you think about your friend list, as you go down the list, think about your good and bad companions, I want to ask you a couple of questions for you to think about because we do need to make these assessments. Maybe it's not something that you've thought about in a while. And so without being unnecessarily judgmental, I want you to judge. I want you to charitably assess your friend list because that is important. Uh, there are ways to take a measure of an individual, and one of those ways is by the friends or the associations that a person has. If a person has bad associations, well, it is a reflection of who they are or who they will be shortly because those bad associations will impact our lives. You can't get away from the influence of bad or good associations. And so every now and then, I think it's wise and it is a good thing to do to think about the companions that we have. And so again, just charitably, your friends, Question number one, would you characterize your relationships as good or bad companions? Number two, if you're dating, is your boyfriend or your girlfriend a good companion? Now, we'd love to have a megaphone and stand on the rooftop and shout this to all dating couples that you really have to get this because whatever it is that person is, to the degree that you understand them, well, it's going to be magnified after you get married. And if you see that this person uh, is somewhat of a bad companion, well, the 10% that you see now, it's going to be 100% after you say, I do. And so this is critical. Uh, it's a critical assessment that you must make. And, and love cannot, you cannot permit love uh, to discolor your glasses in such a way that you can't see the reality or you can't be craving so much and be so insecure that you just want someone to love you and you're willing to accept anything. There will be decades of bitter herbs that you will reap if you make this bad decision assuming that your boyfriend or your girlfriend is not a good companion. Third question, what about your spouse? Now, I know because I get the emails. I got one yesterday from a crying spouse, and would you talk to my, would you talk to my spouse that my spouse is in a bad way and I need somebody to talk to my spouse? Your spouse could be a bad companion. And if you need help with that, I can't deal with that here. That's not the point of what I'm developing right now. But we have a ton of resources in our coffee shop, lifeovercoffee.com, and you're welcome to check them out, and you will find a lot of help. Question number four. I think I'm on number four down. Yes, I am. How are your friends spurring you on to love and good works? 
the words I'm, I'm coming from uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Uh, it says that we are to spur one another on to love and good works. And you can make a case for that word spur uh, to be an irritant. Now, I would modify the word irritant with the word biblical. We want to be biblical irritants because some, when I ask the question, what about your spouse? Is your spouse a good or a bad companion? You may, you may say, my spouse is a bad companion and he is an irritant. Well, we don't want to be that, neither bad nor an irritant. But if you are a biblical irritant, then that is the kind of person that you want, a disturber of the people in a charitable and biblical way. Jesus was that. Uh, Jesus, Jesus was a biblical irritant. He irritated us to such a way that we were born again. He disturbs us. He shakes us out of our crust. And so we want to spur one another on to loving good works. And so how are your friends spurring you on? If your closest relationships are not spurring you to love God more effectively, you need to consider how you live with them. Some of them you can leave, that you can get away from. Some of them, there are other things that you need to factor in in order to do, to do all that depends upon you to live at peace with maybe bad companions. So I've titled uh, this particular uh, content that I'm building out here, How to Build and Enjoy Dynamic Community Life. I have divided this up into two parts. The two parts are the what and the how. The what, I'm just going to talk about briefly, but the how will get into the nuts and bolts of how to build a dynamic community life as we take our relationship with God, we expand it to one close intimate friend, and now we are incrementally asking God to bring people into our lives that we can begin to have this kind of koinonia with. And so this is where we are here in part three, incrementally expanding our friendship list. Now, the what is easy to answer because I've been talking about it. And again, if you haven't listened, read, watched part number one, part number two, I would encourage you to do that. But the Lord is the what. The Lord is the what when building community with friends. He is what you want to become, Christ-like. Jesus is the prize. So he is the what. What are you aiming for? Christ. What do you want to become? Christ-like. What do you hope? You hope to experience progressive change into Christ-likeness. So he is the what? Because you want to enjoy a fuller experience with him. What do you want to do? You want to experience the Lord in more profound ways. And so with the Lord established as the goal, the prize that's out there, then you begin developing a methodology that would allow you to fulfill this great call to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that he has placed on our lives, which brings us to the how. He is the what, he is the goal, he is the prize, and now how do we get there? That's the nuts and bolts of what I want to present to you. This methodology is the how part of experiencing God. The how makes the word koinonia, community, fellowship, participation. They're all the same. The how makes the word koinonia an important word. It is the word for the, the, the list that I just gave you, community, fellowship, 
participation. I, I mentioned earlier in, in chapter 1 and 2, Philippians chapter 2, that we participate in the Spirit. So the word participation means community or koinonia or fellowship. Those words are interchangeable. And so to fully experience God, a community of like-minded people must be willing to participate in the Spirit for the cause of biblical fellowship. Now in that sentence, I mentioned the word koinonia three times. To fully experience God, a community, koinonia, of like-minded people must be willing to participate koinonia, in the Spirit, for the cause of biblical fellowship, koinonia. It is impossible to know the Lord in all the ways that you can know Him without body-to-body reciprocality. And so that is the sweet spot when the Lord, you, and others gather in this space of spurring one another on for a deeper experience with Christ and each other. And so the what of community life is to deepen your experience with God by becoming Christ-like. The how of community life is to build relationships that want to deepen their mutual experiences with the Lord. And everybody's not going to want this. And I will explain because I am going to share with you seven essential tips that will help guide you into the nuts and bolts of building a dynamic community life. And so with Christ as the goal for your community, you can now begin delving into the practical aspects of building and connecting your lives so you can experience that good aim mutually. And so I want to give you seven suggestions to consider as you create a richer community life experience so you all can mature into the fullest measure of Christ-likeness. Now, not only would this resource, the digital book and the videos and podcasts, be excellent for marriage counseling, be excellent for family dynamics, but it would also be very good for a small group to go through these three uh, chapters that I have developed here. All right, so here are seven essential nuts and bolts that you need in order to build a dynamic group of friends to enjoy the fullest measure of Christ-likeness. Number one, establish your goal. Number one, establish your goal. Now, I'm not going to develop this any further than what I've already mentioned, but but only reiterate the importance of making the Lord the prize for doing community life. If deepening your experience with God is not your chief purpose, your community will deteriorate into a social club, point blank, full stop. Suppose you think about your primary relationships in a mission statement way. If you were to write a mission statement for your small group of friends, you're welcome to use this one or you can adapt this. This is what I would say. We are here to deepen our relationship with the Lord, which will happen in proportion to which we deepen our relationship with each other. And so step number one, or point number one, establish your goal. He is Christ. Number two, understand koinonia. Each person in your community will have to decide if they will share their complete experience with God, with each other, authentically. There are good and bad sides to how we relate to God. For example, there are areas in our lives where We are not appropriating the grace of God as evidenced by personal struggles that we have or interrelational conflict that is happening. 
My point here is that nobody is perfect. Everybody is a work in progress. Everybody in your group of close friends will have sin problems and sin patterns in their lives. There are no exceptions to this rule. It will be easier to share how they are experiencing victory in Jesus, but it will be a struggle for them to self-disclose in areas where they are not experiencing biblical success. The proportion in which every person in your community is self-disclosing will be the proportion in which your community will experience their most beneficial possibilities with God. Nothing in group life will be more challenging than living out this truth. And so step number two, understand koinonia. Let me give you a, a brief caveat here, because I know that there will be people in your group that are blabbermouths. They don't understand self-control. They don't understand discretion. I'm not talking about those here. There's another time and place to talk about them. But I'm talking about the timid ones, the shy ones, those who hide behind the fig leaves. Those are the ones that need to step up to the challenge of disclosing appropriately biblically, charitably, their full experience of God. It is impossible to enjoy a complete expression of koinonia if your closest friends are not willing to share their entire experience with God. But the same holds true for you and me. Sharing half-truths about how I am doing with the Lord will only allow others to enter into half of my experience with the Lord, the safe side, where I am living the dream. If you don't let them into the darker side of your life, there is a good chance you will always remain there in the darker side of your life. Number three, model your mission. You have established your goal, koinonia. Number three, you want to model your mission. Because you don't want to be naked and ashamed, hiding behind fig leaves, covering yourself up, that's what the Adamic people do. We carry a sense of shame and fear and guilt, and, and we hope that no one will expose us for who we know ourselves to be. The most effective way to motivate a person to share their complete experience with the Lord, specifically the darker side of themselves, is for you to share areas in which you struggle. You become the model. You become exhibit A for the person that you want them to be. Follow me as I follow Christ. All good counselors know this truth. When someone comes to counseling, the counselee can easily and wrongly assume the counselor has his act together. Newsflash, it is not true. And this presumption can intimidate the counselee and even hinder him from being self-disclosing. A wise counselor will want to diffuse this wrong-headed notion by letting the counselee know that he, the counselor, does not have his act together completely. There have been many times in counseling where I have shared my sin struggles, and my hope in doing so was to release the person from the fear of being transparent. Trying to hide your sin is futile as trying to hide your skin color. The quicker you can get over yourself, the faster you can access one of the most effective means of grace given to you, the body of Christ. 
coming to the body of Christ, engaging the body of Christ in real space, real time, practical ways, you can hide in that group by only sharing parts of yourself. A wise, humble, community-minded person will openly discuss the good and the bad sides of his relationship with the Lord. He will want to model his mission so that it will encourage others to do similarly, appropriately with self-control and discretion always in view. Model your mission, number three. Number four, build trust. The thing that will hinder you from openly sharing the darker things in your life is trust. Trust is huge, and trust usually revolves around two critical questions. Number one, can I trust you? The small group leader is saying, I want you to be self-disclosing. Really? Can I trust you? And then question number two, how will you respond to me after I reveal the real me? For example, will you judge me? Will you make fun of me? Will you critique me? Will you gossip about me? And maybe just as important, are you even competent enough to help me? Why would you want me to share and you have no discipleship game? You don't have any skill in walking me through this. And so uh, you, you need to build that trust because they're asking those two questions. Are you trustworthy? And then how is this going to go after I do what you're asking me to do? This relational tension is where you will need to be patient with people. It can take years for someone to open up. Slow down. Be patient with them all. Sanctification may sound nice on paper, but what I am talking about, when you put a bunch of messed up people in the room together, things can become quite complicated. And so point number four, build trust. Number five of seven, enjoy small talk. Small talk leads to deep talk. Typically, it is, it is unwise to launch into deep conversations with people that you do not know. I am talking about a very long game that we're playing here. This is not something that happens in a micro moment. It is even more foolish to pull things out of people, those who are uncomfortable with this kind of intrusive conversation. They may want help at some level, but they, they, they must come to you on their terms, not yours. Because of the attentiveness of people, it will be vital for you to learn the value of small talk. Love your friends while encouraging and building that trust. They know that you're trustworthy. They recognize your competence that you will be able to help them. Do not expect in six weeks of relationship building with a friend what you finally learned after 20 years of walking with the Lord. And sometimes we can forget timelines. It's taken me 30 years to learn these things, and now you're going to do it tonight. You're going to do it within the first month. Probably not. Give it time. You keep on modeling your mission. Let them see your freedom in Christ. Let them see your example of how to reveal the darker side of life while teaching them how to appropriate the grace of God in those areas of struggle. Point number five, enjoy small talk. Number six, value intentionality. This is a huge word. It will be easy to lose purpose with your friends, which makes being intentional essential. Always keep it top of mind. Always keep it in the forefront of your mind. Always keep this idea of koinonia on the tip of your tongue. The gospel-centered life comes with a cross. The temptation to be less authentic and more shallow 
It speaks to the essentialness of keeping your eye on the goal. Jesus never lost sight of his purpose. There was joy set before him, which motivated him to endure the process of redeeming, hurting, lost, and enslaved people. Intentional community building invariably leads to conflict, which is why people default to superficial community life. It's just too hard. And we can be just too stubborn. And so point number six, value intentionality. And then finally, create context. Because of the challenge of, the challenge of getting people to open up and the time involved in building trust over multiple years, it would be wise to have several contexts, spaces, different kinds of environments where you're connecting with your community rather than just one place, one setting of doing community life. I have led small groups for many years at different seasons, Lucia and I, and we have never seen where having only a small group is all you need to build the kind of koinonia that I'm talking about here. And so what you want to do is to think through different settings of doing life together. Now, traditionally, we have six different environments where we sought to do life with our friends. This is not an exclusive or exhaustive list, but this is a thumbnail sketch of six essentials that have worked for us. There are other things, too, but I want to share those six different contexts <clears throat> Excuse me, that we have used to build community uh, with each other. We did not want our weekly small group gathering to be the only opportunity to build with our folks relationally. We need to see people in different venues doing different things than always doing koinonia. We want to build relational bridges. We want to build relationally. And sometimes you need less intensive context in order to fortify that relational bridge you're trying to build. So here are six essential contexts that we have used in our small group leadership. Number one, the corporate meeting on Sunday morning. Lucia and I would typically connect with our friends each Sunday morning at our church meeting, slap them on the back, tell a joke, have a little fun, a little lighthearted conversation, pray together, cry together, hear God's word taught, worship the Lord as the body of Christ. There can be small talk and serious discussions. It can be very spontaneous at the broader corporate meeting, number one. Number two, the small group meeting where we did life together. A smaller group of people, less people in the room, we would meet regularly throughout the year. This was the context where people would become braver. This is the context where people would become more willing uh, to talk more personally uh, because it's a more controlled setting. Number two, the small group weekly meeting. Number three, couples meetings. This is even smaller. Now there's four people in the room, not a small group, not a corporate meeting. We try to meet with each couple or have each couple to come to our home at least once a month. What we would do is that we historically would we would block out each Thursday evening of the month of the year and we would have a couple and they would just rotate through usually once a month or depending on how many couples are in the group. It could be every five weeks, every six weeks. These meetings proved to be excellent context to build more privately. And actually, these meetings enhanced our small group meetings as people were learning to baby step in Koinonia in a more private setting. And so number three was the couples meetings. Number four was the men 
me meeting with another guy, man to man. And so now it's just two people in a room talking. And so I would meet with the men in our small group community once a month to talk more personally and privately about God. Number five were events where we did all kinds of fun things together, and that is a long list, and there's just so many meetups and things that you can do. Number six was social media, where we regularly communicated with each other through different types of social media. And so with these six things in mind, there are also five means of grace that the Bible teaches us about how change happens. So as you think about those six contexts that I just presented to you, there are five ways that people change. And so we would think strategically about these five ways. So here's how people change according to the Bible. One, God will change you. Number two, the Bible will change you. It's profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting. Number three, you will change you. We have a responsibility to be doers of the word. Number four, the Lord would use situations in our lives to change us. Joseph said that in 5020. You meant these situations for evil. God meant these situations for good. And then number five, the body of Christ will change you. All the one another's in the New Testament, for example. And so God will change you. The Bible will change you. You change you. Situations will change you. And the body of Christ will change you. And so with those five things in view, uh, those contexts that I listed earlier would be used differently, not equally, not applied equally, but uh, they would be used differently in those six contexts that I mentioned. I'm talking about how to build and enjoy dynamic community life. I want to wrap up by giving you two sets of questions. Now, this first set of questions requires an article to write a full article uh, beside each one of them, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, but what I would encourage you to do is to think through these questions and find somebody to talk to about these questions. And so let me roll through them. Again, these are big whopping questions that you really want to take time to talk with someone based on the material that I have developed here in these three chapters. Question number one, what are the risks of not having biblical fellowship? Number two, how close should someone get to you? Number three, how honest should you be with others? Number four, how close should you pursue the opposite sex in biblical koinonia? Number five, what does koinonia look like practically at work, at home, roommates, dating, marriage, non-Christian environments? Number six, can you fellowship at the same level as married people if you were single? Number seven, can you have fellowship the same way with all Christians, including your Christian relatives? Number eight, what hinders biblical fellowship for you? Now, you can find all eight of these questions on our website, and again, all eight of them would take eight different articles to work through. But I would encourage you to take them, and, and this is where a small group conversation over a period of weeks would be fantastic. But look for the article, How to Build and Enjoy Dynamic Community Life. Now I want to roll through 10 quick questions. These are questions that Lucia and I have used to have koinonia with each other. We don't use them all at the same time, but we pick and choose depending on the situation. There are more koinonia questions than these, but this will give you an idea of what 
biblical fellowship questions can look like. <clears throat> Number one, what is the Lord doing in your life? If you understand koinonia, you will give a two-sided answer, the good and the bad. Number two, what has the Lord taught you lately? Three, how have you applied what He taught you to your life? Four, will you help me in this specific area of temptation? Five, what have you read or heard that is helping you in your sanctification? Six, how is the grace of God working in a particular area of sin? Number seven, what specific areas are you struggling with now? Number eight, how can I serve you in a particular area of your sanctification? Number nine, what are some ways in which you are leading your friends? And then finally, number 10, how are you applying the sermon from this past Sunday? That is just a brief list of biblical fellowship questions that Lucia and I have, have used over the years and continue to use. And again, you can find both sets of questions, the long-form discussion questions that I gave you earlier, and then the set of 10 that I just shared with you to, uh, for you to have with a particular individual that you're having koinonia with. And again, you can find them under the article, How to Build and Enjoy Dynamic Community Life. Thank you so much, and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.